and uh, had uh, two weeks with Dr. Stephen List. We were in Moravian Falls at the church there and got to go to the Billy Graham uh, Library and Museum. I'd encourage you to go there if you can. It's an incredible place. 35,000 people have received Christ at that library and museum as they tell his life story of a little boy that God raised up on a dairy farm at North Carolina uh, to transform the world through the gospel. Probably one of the greatest gospel, if not the greatest gospel preacher that we've heard in our lifetime who walked in humility and integrity all his life. And uh, got to go to Bob Jones' prayer house and got to go to Moravian Falls and meet some of the intercessors. Got to preach in two services and saw God move in mighty ways. And then I got to go up to Skagit, Sunrise Christian Center Skagit in our branch work. They're two years old. They have about 300 people that are coming every week after two years. And we hope that that's the first of many Sunrise Christian Centers around the Northwest and the world that God will open up. Because one of the ways we've been learning our first principles, the greatest way, really biblical method of advancing the kingdom is to plant churches. So we're going to talk about some of those things today. I'm going to actually share some of the first principles because the message I had already written before I looked at the first principles book four is the end of my message is dealing with what was written in the book. So isn't God amazing that way? And uh, had a great time, shared my goodness of God message and uh, four of the five elders, four or five elders came up at the end of the first service I preached in two Sundays ago and said, you just answered all our questions that we've been fighting about in our elder meetings. So they called me a couple of days after and said, we, we, we want to order 200 of your goodness of God books. We want to give them to everybody in the congregation as a gift. You just answered a prayer of what we're supposed to do in the next season. So you never know. God can take drug addicts, alcoholics, people that have had nervous breakdowns. And uh, I only have one thing to boast in, that's Jesus. And uh, he's, he's a wonderful one to boast in because he changes people's lives. Last week I watched the service. It was fun to watch people getting baptized in water. John talked about two gates, the narrow gate and the broad gate. There's a broad way and a narrow way. One leads to life and one leads to destruction. There's no third road. There's no road in between. There's only one way to enter the kingdom, and that's through Jesus Christ. But once you enter, you, you do enter a life of an abundance. I, I can't find scripture where the Lord says, you know, I am the Lord. I have poverty for everyone. <laughs> you know, we, we need to learn to discern things. Yes, there are people that teach things like Pastor John said, that prosperity, they're motivated by all the wrong things. But that doesn't negate that God only does abundance. That's all he can do. That's who he is. He gave you abundant life. He gives you abundant blessings. He, you know, he doesn't get a little eyedropper out and just barely able to squeeze out little blessings on people. And yes, he has a heart for the poor. And yes, he has a heart. And if, you, if you're motivated by the right things, abundance in his proper place is very, very powerful. And he's a God that abundantly can minister to everyone's needs. And we need to start thinking like God thinks rather than how, how we think as people by ourselves. It's kind of like a funnel. You know, if you, if you start out on the, on the big end, it gets narrower and narrower in the end. But if you start out on the narrow end, it gets wider and wider. And the Bible says that, it, that when you enter the kingdom, it gets, it's a narrow way, but it gets brighter and brighter. It goes from glory to glory. It goes from grace to grace. It's amazing what starts to happen as we enter in the narrow way. And John did a great job in sharing that. So Jesus talked about the two gates. Now he talks about two trees. So we're going to talk about two trees today. And we're going to talk about some things that Jesus talked about. He said there's a bad tree and there's a good tree. 
He didn't talk about any other trees, but he talks about the bad tree and the good tree. And he starts out this whole portion of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mountain says, Beware. Now, I believe that we live in a time that Jesus was speaking about. It's not only applicable to those days when he was speaking to uh, the people that were on the mount and also the disciples and the bigger crowds that he spoke to in that context uh, through that uh, number of chapters in the book of Matthew. But he starts it out with beware. And today we've had a lot of news about prophets. We've had news about false prophets. We've had news about prophecies. Uh, if you're as old as I am, I've got to follow Jesus for 45 and about half years. I remember in 1988 when a well-known Bible teacher wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Going to Come in 88. Now, since we're uh, 31 years, 33 years later, um, obviously Jesus didn't come. And we've all lived enough to know that many of the antichrists have already died. And that people, when they get off into things that they don't know really anything about, especially when they make dates when Jesus said, no man knows the hour of the day except the Father. So when they say they know, they've already proved themselves wrong by the scriptures. That's why we need to be people who know the word of God. If we don't know the word of God, we can be easily deceived. And we're living in an age of great deception. And remember, we're not fighting people. We're never battling really people. What we're battling is the demonic forces and spirits and the doctrines of demons that cause people to be oppressed and bound. Jesus comes to give us life. Jesus comes to release freedom. Jesus comes for us to be the good trees planted in good soil. But I wanted to share a few things that I think are applicable. Uh, I talked to Pastor John about this before the message. I think it's important. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about prophecies and prophets and prophetic words and all those things. But I think there's some scriptural guidelines that help us. First of all, we're to weigh every prophecy against the word of God. We need to be people who know the word. When I taught cults in Seattle Bible College for a number of years, um, it was interesting because I learned that the way they teach people to uh, recognize counterfeit bills is they make them only work with real bills for, for a long period of time. They learn how to feel them. They learn how to look at them. They learn, they're trained to show what the genuine is. They don't, they don't show them all the false things first. They show them the genuine. And then when then they start to slip in bills that are different, that are manufactured, some of the ones that have been, you know, copied and different things. And they start to realize the feel's different. It looks different. There's something about it. It doesn't feel like all the other thousands and maybe tens of thousands of the bills of plaster. See, when you know the word of God, when something's false, there's that thing in your spirit that says, you know, they, they said all the right things, but something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't look right. Something doesn't act right. And so we need to learn to know the scriptures. The more you know the scriptures, when people make particularly dates, I've always cautioned people about making dates. Some of my friends over the last number of months said, well, the Lord showed me by this date, this is what's going to happen. I said, why are you saying that? Well, because the Lord told me. Did he tell you to tell everybody? And why are you doing it? What's your, well, I want everybody to know that I heard from God. Well, if it's all about you hearing from God, you've got the wrong motivation. Just saying. And if it didn't happen on January 6th and November whatever and, you know, February 1st, just be honest and say it didn't happen, okay? Yeah. Don't try and remake it into something else. You know, if you made a, I know if my wife doesn't like her recipe, I would say, well, you know, we can make it. She says, no, we're starting from scratch. This, this will not taste good. I misread the re- I, I'm like, You're gonna, you spend all that time. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it right. And see, sometimes people that are motivated by wanting to be right, 
and wanting to show everybody that they're part of the secret group that knows what no one else, you know, we're the inside group that God's only shown us. Be careful of anybody that has that kind of attitude. Be careful of anyone that has that kind of spirit because it causes division. It causes, you know, I had, I, had a, I had friends in the past, they'd walk into me and they said, man, that was only 30% anointed. You know, my response always was, who gave you the anointometer? Who are you to judge what's anointed and what's not anointed? You thought it wasn't anointed, but eight people got saved. Last time I knew that, you know, the devil doesn't cause people to get saved. So there must have been some anointing. And who are we to judge another man's servant? But we can judge things according to the scriptures. And we should be a people, as we look at prophecies, that we, we test prophecies. You know, there's a, there was a misconception between false prophecies and, I think, poor prophecies. And we have to be careful when we use terms because false prophets are, they're actually trying to, very purposely, the false prophets of Matthew chapter 7, they're actually purposely trying to deceive people. But I've known people that have given poor prophecies. Or they prophesied out of their own heart and thought it was God. They got so ticked about something that they prophesied their tickedness, I guess you can call it. We had a man one day got up in front of the church and he got up and says, thus says the Lord, the elders are not praying enough. And you know, he, got, he just kind of jumped up and that's one of the reasons why we have a protocol so people don't just jump up and drop an atom bomb in the middle of the service. And you have to pick up the pieces. And he started, and, be, and before I could walk down from the platform, remember he was standing right here with his hand in the air, had his Bible out, and the elders are not praying enough and they're not at the prayer meetings. And, and you know what he was trying, the enemy was trying to use his own issue from his own heart to release something in the congregation. And he, he had a good heart. He was a good man. He loved the Lord. He wasn't evil and wicked. But before I could get down, one of the men up there stood up. Actually, he was a former Mormon that God really got a hold of a number of years ago. And he stood up and said, Brother, we don't receive that prophecy before I can even say anything. <laughs> now, it probably wasn't his place to do that, but I was really thankful that day. That he stood up and said that, because and I and I, I told the man I called. I said I want to talk to you this week, and I said, you know what? I said you just prophesied out of your own frustrations. Yeah. It wasn't that he was a false prophet in a sense that he was trying to deceive people. He just allowed his own frustrations and what he was bothered about to be released. And if I didn't do something about it, there would be people that thought the elders. What he didn't know is when we were having kind of the start of man prayer and gatherings, many of them were already at work when the meeting started. Many of them came into the building before the meeting started and nobody saw them. So when you and I start to judge things by our own eyes or our own opinions or what we feel or what we think, we can get into poor prophecy. Or we can prophesy out of our own heart. Now, false prophets were actually trying to deceive people not to hear God's voice. True false prophets were causing all kinds of... They even, it says in some of the scriptures, they're going to begin to deny the Lord Jesus who they seek to prophesy about. And they lead people into error and astray. And we need to realize in the, that we are called to test prophecy. People said, oh, you're judging all these people. I said, no, I'm not judging the people. I'm judging the prophecy. And if they don't want their prophecy judged, they shouldn't be prophesying. Because it says clearly in the scriptures... You know, people say, can I take out a phone when you prophesy? I said, sure, take out a phone. I, I don't have anything to hide. Hello? And I don't just like, you know, I'm not the push the prophecy button guy on demand and I'm going to start prophesying over people, although sometimes those things happen. But I want people to follow Jesus. I want them to be lined up with the word of God. So we test the prophecies. 
We not only test the prophecies, but we line up whatever is said with the word of God. And we need to remember in the Old Testament, often the prophets, their words became the word of God. And often they spoke to nations, many of them, not all of them, but some of them were speaking to whole nations. And, and right now in the context of the New Testament and the New Covenant, now a, a, the ministry of the prophet is to be contained in a local church. They're to be a part of the body of Christ. And one of the dangers I see is some people's ministries get so big and they get so um, known that they, they, they get away from being a part of a local church. I appreciated when I heard Cindy Jacobs say, I need, a, I need a pastor. I need a local church that I operate because that's a biblical principle. I appreciate people who follow the scriptures, but some ministries get so big and I hear people say, oh, you know, they're my covering. I'm like, well, you've never met them. They live in Indiana. You live in Everett, Washington. How are they going to be your covering? Hello? That's why God gave us a local community of believers that know us, you know how I live, you know how I drive, you know how Pastor John and Pastor Grace live, you know how the elders are, you, you live with us, you know us. And see, we, we, we've developed this kind of like Christianity, you know, oh boy, they're, they're a prophet to the nation. Well, who made them a prophet to the nation? And are they accountable to anyone? We should have learned a lesson, I hope. We just saw what was known as one of the world's greatest apologists living a double lifestyle. It makes me shudder. To realize that like, someone like that could have been manipulating women and the people around him didn't do anything about all of the... I mean, that you have a personal masseuse, a woman going around the world with you and nobody on your... Man, I'll tell you, if I ever even... First of all, my wife would kill me. I wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about the elders. My wife would kill me. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit can't speak to you, I'll tell you, your wife will. <laughs> Just saying, that's not in the Bible, but you know what I mean. And I watched in my, in my lifetime, I watched the devastation of a leader follow. And it was, a, it was a, a living illustration to say, Dan, if you ever did this, this is the effect that you would have on tens of thousands of people. And so we need accountability. We need people that speak into our life. And the New Testament prophets, according to the scriptures, are to be in a context of a local community. Paul the apostle submitted himself to the church at Antioch. When he came to them, they were his brothers. They, he held himself accountable to them and them to him. And don't despise prophecy. I know there's been a lot of crazy things, but don't despise prophecy. It's very clear. We're not to despise prophecy. There's a reason that, that it was said by Paul that we're not to despise prophecy to the Thessalonians because prophecy has a very incredible benefit when it's used in the context of glorifying God and Jesus and lining up with the scriptures and building people up. See, there... Prophetic ministry is to comfort people, encourage people, and build people up and exhort them. So we need to be careful sometimes when we look at these things. And the New Testament pattern is open to prophets, the gift of prophet, and also the, the gift of revelation, but we should know them. I had my network meeting this week, and one of the uh, leaders that was with us, he's very prophetic. And I, I, I marveled at watching him because he's very humble. Matter of fact, at first he didn't want to pray over everybody because he felt other people in the room had a greater ministry than he did. And that, that's a sincere thing. That's not him putting himself down. I watched him. But I listened to him prophesy over people he didn't even know, and it was so clear and so accurate, and it so blessed those people to stay on the path and pointed them to Jesus, not to the person. See, when we start to you know, magnify the person or their ministry more than Jesus, we have problems. 
But don't despise prophecy. Just test it. And I, I told people, just be honest. You know, it didn't happen. Didn't happen in January 6th. Didn't happen on January 20th. Be honest. Don't try and remake the prophecy. Well, it happened in heaven, but it hasn't been manifest on earth. <laughs> Can you imagine Jeremiah saying, well, you know, it's manifest in heaven, but it hasn't been manifest. You know, when Jeremiah prophesied and Isaiah prophesied as true prophets of God in the Old Testament, and when Zechariah, down to minute detail, told all the specific things Jesus would have to fulfill to be the Messiah, you want to listen to people like that. And they weren't well accepted. They were... They were tortured, and they were, they were, you know, they were railed against. They, 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 you know, and now it's almost like, you know, oh, this prophet's ministry has gone. They're receiving 50 times more money on their podcast than they did. Well, of course they are. That's, that should make you wonder. Is it about making money? Or is it about serving the Lord and the King of kings and the Lord of lords and walking in humility before him? So don't despise prophecy. But it's supposed to be used in the New Testament in the context of the local church. And yes, there are people that are translocal, but they will submit themselves to the local churches. Every church I go to, I ask the pastor. I'm submissive to them. I say, what, what do you want me to do and not do? We need to be submitted one to another in the fear of God. But we, we've created in Amer- only in America this, I shouldn't say only in America, there's a lot of other countries that's happening as well. But we've created this kind of superstar you know, this person above the scriptures that they're just, oh, they're, they're God's man of faith and power, the woman of God's, you know, faith and power and it causes problems. So let's distinguish between false prophecy, which at its very heart is deceptive, and poor prophecy, where people mix in their own opinions and ideas and say it's the Lord. It's just coming out of their own heart. Now, there are people that can prophesy under demonic influence. I've seen that happen a few times. I was thinking of Pastor Scott. And uh, we had a little encounter with a man here who came here. And again, I, I observe things as, as one of the elders. We, 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 we look after the flock. It's not because we want to control or manipulate people. It's because we want to make sure that the sheep are safe. So a man showed up, and after two weeks, he knew about 40 people in church. That's not normal, to walk into a church building the first time for two weeks and know 40 people. He's prophesying over people, and you know, he's, he's putting himself off that God sent him here from, you know, Fort Lauderdale, and, and I just kind of observed this, and I'm thinking, that, this is not normal. You don't just walk into a church and start prophesying over, if you, if you have godly character. You at least talk to the pastor, the leaders, and let them know what you're doing. Well, God told me. Well, actually, God already told you in the scriptures what to do. So he didn't change his mind about protocol. He didn't change his mind about authority that would keep people safe and protected, because we care about you. So this guy says, oh, hey, God sent me here. And so he pulled him in the office, and that, that Sunday, just kind of, or after the service, it was kind of a good cop, bad cop. We don't usually plan it that way. It just, Scott was kind of being the good cop, and I was the bad cop, because I had had enough of these people show up at the church. And so finally he said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you here? Oh, you know, God told me a great revival is going to break out that's going to affect the whole world in this church. And I watched it on live stream, and, and he said, and I'm one of the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. And I said, that's interesting, because I've met about 38 or 39 of you on my journey. (laughs) If you don't know who the two witnesses are, they're the two people that are going to be, you know, or else two types of ministries, depending on your interpretation, that will call down um, fire from heaven, will cause some ruckus in the last days. And and then he goes, and by the way, he said, Dutch Sheets is the other one. And I said, well, Dutch is a real close friend of mine, and... Uh, I've known him for a long time, and he doesn't think he's one of the 
two witnesses. I know that for a fact. He goes, well, he hasn't had the revelation yet. I'm like, oh, Lord, why do these people show up here? But there were some people in the church that were telling me, this guy gave me a prophecy, and he's really good. And so Scott was being nice, and I, 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 at this time I had enough of them that I wasn't going to be nice anymore. I can't find a scripture that says you must be nice. Sometimes you shouldn't be nice. There's a time to be nice, but there's a time to be not nice. There's a time to be ice. And so I just said, I'm in the middle of this stuff, and he goes, he, Scott, so I said, excuse me, Scott, I, I usually don't interrupt you because you're a wise man, but excuse me. I, the Lord told me, yes, I said, do you believe that Jesus came in the flesh? And he goes, oh, no, that's the heir of Christianity. Now, people in our church are receiving prophecies from this guy. Say, oh, this guy prophet. See, as Pentecostal, you have to be careful. You need to know those who are laying hands on you. You need to know who they're accountable to. You need to know God's given you elders and people to protect you from people like that. Because we, we've been around for a while. We've watched these things over the years. We've watched the damage. I've watched people marry people because some of they don't even know prophesies are supposed to marry that guy over there. And then, you know, in marriage five years, I thought, I wish I would have never married him. And he wished he would have never married me. I tell people, don't prophesy marriages over people. We don't need any, there's no gift of matchmaking in the scriptures. Now, I know you all have a story. Well, so-and-so said, I know they did, but God was involved. It's all right. So what I'm saying is we need to be careful. And then he started the typical thing. Well, you know, you know what happens when pastor, I said, look, I don't receive any curse. I don't receive any more. In Jesus' name, be quiet. You're no longer welcome here. Goodbye. Yeah. And we had another man that showed up. He, oh, he's one of these guys, and he'd get right up here in front like this and just, you know, he'd bow down in front of everybody. And people said, oh, pastor, that guy's such a godly guy. No, he was a show-off. <laughs> he wanted to make sure everybody saw him. And, and I, had, I had funny feelings about it. from the first time he walked in. I'm saying, Lord, I want to check my discernment. I don't know. But he, I just get that, you know, that kind of scrape on the board thing that you feel sometimes. And he was around for a while. And he started doing weird stuff. And on their feet, we finally pulled him in the office. I remember Pastor Doug looked at him and said, you belong on the seventh floor of Stevens. <laughs> I think he was right. And then I, I told him, I don't want you to pray for anybody. I don't want you to speak to anybody. I don't want you to give words of knowledge to anybody. And he goes, you know, the first thing that came out of his mouth, well, what if they invite me over for dinner and ask me to pray for dinner? Should I not pray for dinner? Should I tell him Pastor Dan doesn't want me praying for anyone? And I said, look, if, I, if you had a son and you told him he couldn't pick apples off that apple tree, and he said, I've asked all, like, all these people in the church, and they love me. They love the way I worship. They love the way I pray for them. And he goes, and I've asked a bunch of people, and they, they want me back up front because I made them sit in the back. He didn't want to sit in the back. If you can't worship in the back as well as you worship in the front, something's the matter. Just saying. And then we're sitting in the meeting with the elders, and Tom said, hey, pastor, can I, can I handle this one? He told me today, really, because he wanted him to know it wasn't just me, it was the elders. And I told him, if you, pick, if you had a son, he picked the apple, what, what, would, you, what would you call that if, if he went and asked all the neighbors if it was all right if he picked their nap? Well, maybe it would be kind of like, maybe kind of like rebellion. I said, no, it would be rebellion. <laughs> it's not kind of like, it is rebellion. And then he proceeded to tell us that he was Elijah, come back in the flesh. And all these people in the church, oh, he gave me this word. It was so wonderful. I go, he thinks he's Elijah. 
Well, I mean, he really thought he was Elijah. Come back and he was, he, so, you know, that's why we want to know people before we let them loose. You hear what I'm saying about false prophets? That's why Jesus said, beware. And do they build people up? Do they love people? Do they help people? So all that is an introduction to get into the bad tree and the good tree. Let's read Matthew 7. Just saying. Are you with me? Verse 15, chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Father, I thank you for the good trees that you brought into this house that bear good fruit. And Father, may we beware. Jesus, you said beware. You said to always beware in every situation of this happening, especially in the last days in the world we live in. We pray that you would help us to be good trees planted in good soil and produce good fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says beware. They come in sheep's clothing. The two people I talked, they, if you would have just looked at them outwardly and the way they talk and the way they act, they look, look very normal. Found out the one man had caused disturbances in about seven churches in the area, similar to one he'd caused in our church when I started to talk to pastors. These men, it says in Second Peter, and women are self-willed, they're presumptuous, and they're antagonistic to authority. It says so in Second Peter 2.1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, which will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. So there can be false prophets who will prophesy in his name and false teachers who will teach in his name that actually deny the one who bought them with a price. Jude 16 says they are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. See, they have a desire to gain advantage and control. They have a desire to be right. They have a desire to be recognized. They have a desire to be seen by people and have a place. It says in Jude 7 and 8, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around themselves gave themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strong flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. They reject authority and speak evil of those that God has placed in leadership. So they often deal with immorality. Isn't it interesting that when people start to go off doctrinally, you often find there's something hidden in their lives that is helping them justify what they're doing in their secret lives. There's professors without possession. In Jude 12, there are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. It's one of the marks of a false prophet and people that don't walk with God. They're clouds without water, carried about by winds, late autumn trees without fruit. They're wandering stars, Jews said, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, and Jesus said, beware. It's an imperative in the present. It's a present imperative. Follow this command as often as this situation arises. You're to beware of anyone who brings false prophecies. This is how you're to react. This is how you're to respond. And they have false lives and they often have false doctrines. 
They're obviously a false doc doctrines because they deny the one they say they speak for. And this is the key. They exploit people rather than build up people. They exploit them with their own agenda rather than causing them to be followers of Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom and his family and the body of Christ. And you will know them by their fruits because grapes are not from thorn bushes. You don't find grapes out on thorn bushes. You don't find figs on thistles because they cannot grow these. I suppose you could tape them on, but they wouldn't really be the fruit of that tree. It says you will know them, epigonosco, to know adequately, fuller, cleaner, and more knowledge. See, bad trees produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. So he's letting us know that you'll know them by their fruits. So we're to be fruit inspectors. We're to look at someone's, the fruitfulness of their life. And what has concerned me is often people are swayed often by their emotions or feelings. I had a situation a number of years ago where someone was committing adultery. And uh, the wife had not found out yet. I found out about it and I confronted the people and said, this is not, this is not right. It's not for right. And then the person wanted me to tell the wife that they were doing that. And I said, it's not my place to do that. You're her husband. It's your place to do it. And so the person got kind of carried away and told one of their friends how mean I was and how I just told them how judgmental I was. And I'm thinking, you're committing an adultery with someone's wife in the church and you're not dealing with it and you're going to blame me. And I'd even brought this person's friend in to be there to support brought another pastor in, brought in another lady to be with the lady. And we had to deal with it. And this, this lady came and said, I can't believe she said you yelled and screamed at her. And I said, how long have you known me? And she said, over 20 or 20. I said, have you ever known me to yell and scream at people? No, but she was crying. And see what the enemy does and what happens often in false situations, he plays on people's emotions. Oh, the leaders were all so angry. And I know leaders can be angry, but I said, what has been my, the fruit that you've seen in my life? Has anybody else ever told you that I, I yelled and screamed at them? Well, no, but she was crying. I said, what if it would have been your husband she was committing adultery with? Oh, I never thought of that. Would I be a shepherd of the flock? If I allowed one of the sheep to take someone else's wife and just sat there and didn't do anything about it? And I said, well, help you. I understand there's all kinds of emotional things at play in this. We're here to help you, but this is not acceptable. So often what the enemy will do and often what false prophets will do, they'll play on emotions. They'll play on, you know, they'll play on your past experience or your hurts to try and manipulate or do something. Very, very important. We're, we're careful of those things. Well, I don't know about you. I, I like. I better finish the bad news. Do you li I like the bad news before the good news. If somebody says, you want the bad news first, the guy always said, "Give me the bad news." Then the good news is going to be a lot better. <laughs> Acts twenty twenty nine thirty one. For I know this that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Did you hear that? Paul said, I know I'm going to go to be with Jesus, but for the last three years, night and day, I have prayed for you and I have wept over you and I have warned you about this happening. See how big an issue this is? He said, I know when I depart to go to be with the Lord that there's going to come people from the outside who are going to draw people to themselves. Whenever people are drawing people themselves in a church or in an organization and rallying people around what they think, it's always a danger because you're going to start to divide. The Lord is not about division. He's about uniting us in the purposes of Christ. He set up a, a great structure when he built his kingdom of how we're to operate and then he said, some of, some, of, some of the people right in their midst, they're, they're going to, you know, it's always interesting to me. Some, some people, not all people, but a few times I'm thinking, they're doing great. And then you give them a title and all of a sudden they become a different creature. Well, I'm in charge. You're doing really great until you thought you were in charge. Now nobody wants to be around you. We're to be servants of God and servants of people. We're to have, have Christ-like attitudes in the way we lead people and we bring people together. Because we all have our own opinions and ideas. But Jesus is way more important than our opinions and ideas. Let's get the, you ready for the good news? Say, I'm ready for the good news. All right. I'm ready for lots of good news. Well, there's a lot of good news out there. A good tree bears good fruit. The first good in that portion of Scripture we read, the first word, is agathos, which inwardly good, good effects and results, inward character, Thayer, the Greek scholar said. And the second good there, kalos, is, uh, or kalos, is good in appearance, beautiful, well adapted to the ends. So a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And, and Luke 6, if you, you can go home and read it if you'd like, it's the parallel in the Sermon on the Mountain, Luke verses 43 to 45. It talks basically the same thing, and at the end it says that an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. So we are good trees. Tell everybody, I'm a good tree. I'm a good tree. And we need to be rooted and grounded in love. I love Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books in the, all of the Bible. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the saints, community, which is the width and length and depth and height, and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of Christ. Part of the fullness of Christ is achieved when we're rooted in, in love, and we comprehend with all the saints the amazing things that Jesus has done for us and is for us. And John 15, 16 said, God didn't choose you, but you, I mean, God chose you, but you didn't choose him. He chose you that you would go forth and bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. So you didn't have a good idea one day. You did, but it was really God's idea that drew you to himself, that you would bear good fruit. And I was, I was doing my assignment after I wrote the message in uh, the First Principles book, and we're on chapter four. I know everybody's different places, but we're in the fourth book and the first lesson. And it's all about Christ dwelling in your hearts by loves and building and cultivating the habits of the heart. I hope if you're not in a group, you get in a group. And you really start to learn to love one another. We've got a great group that we meet with on Wednesday nights. Some of them are in here. But I love what Ray Stedman wrote in this book about knowing the, knowing the love of Christ, the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth. He was an incredible um, teacher back in the uh, 70s and 80s. He wrote a book that became famous called Body Life. 
He says this, I want to stress that we are not alone in isolation. Or excuse me, we, I want to stress that we are not to live in isolation. That is our problem. But to relate to one another, to realize with all saints, and not to try to work things out all alone. As we begin to relate to and to share with one another, then we begin to realize the height and depth and length and breadth. And sometimes we, we only relate to the people that think like us, and that puts us in a dangerous place. We need to relate with all the saints. It brings a, a balance and a stability. What does he mean? There are many who have made beautiful suggestions about the meaning of these four dimensions. Some are, some are in them, some see in them the cross with its height and depth and length and breadth. Some see them as a description of the love of God. But I think that they are a reference to some of the things Paul has already talked about in this letter. The length is what he calls in chapter one, the hope to which you're called. That hope which began before the foundation of the world in eternity past and reaches on throughout all recorded time into the unsearchable, limitless reaches of eternity yet to come. That is the length and scope of God's program. We are caught up in God's vast cosmic endeavor to bring all things together in Christ. That is the hope to which we are called. The breadth in which he refers to is the riches of the inheritance among the Gentiles. The fact that Jews and Gentiles and all men alike are gathered up in the church without difference or division. Black, white, rich, poor, slave, freeman, male, female, doesn't make any difference. All are one, sharing equality in the riches of Jesus Christ through the cross. The height indicates that we are in Christ, risen to sit together with him in heavenly places far above all principalities. All powers, all authorities in this age and the age to come is the place of authority as a Christian, the place of power to be freed from everything that would drag us down and to live above all the world, twist and demolish and destroy in our lives. And finally, the depth is what he has described in chapter two as death, the living death out of which God has called us and the death we were victims instead of victors, following the course of this age, living unwittingly as directed by the prince of the power of the air, following the passions of the flesh, doing what we thought was right and ending up being wrong in everything we attempted. We were children of wrath as Paul described us. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Out of that living death, the depths of human depravity, God called us into the heights with Christ. And he goes on to share in this first principles chapter, the first uh, lesson in book four about developing habits of the heart, this incredible thing that we should never lose the awe and the wonder of who Christ is and what he's done for us. I don't know about you, but as I mature in my age, for 45 and a half years, I've, I've been in awe and wonder of who Jesus is and the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of his love not only towards me, but towards all humanity. And the price he was willing to pay to give his only son for all of us when we didn't want him, when we had rejected him. And out of my drugs and my degradation and my lust and my filth and my pride, my two nervous breakdowns and my drug addictions and my alcoholism, being loaded 38 days straight, given over to a reprobate mind and being told by counselors that I was a schizophrenic. But 45 and a half years ago, I began to plumb the depths of the riches of Christ. And I'll tell you, I've been digging for 45 and a half years, and I haven't come to an end. I've only scratched the surface. And when you realize you'll never come to an end of who he is, he's unsearchable. His ways are past finding out as much as he reveals. But to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, 
The love of Christ that passes knowledge is personally receiving Christ and experiencing that truth in your own life. Knowledge can puff you up, but love always edifies and builds up. The problem with false prophets is they draw the attention away from Jesus and from us loving one another and being united and from us taking the message of the gospel to a world that needs the gospel and hope so desperately. And as the enemy has caused and sought to divide us from the world that we're called to reach. There's a whole lot of us against them when it's Jesus for everyone. That's the message of the gospel. But the same people that have fought you and maybe been your enemies and you don't get along with or you don't think like them are the ones who need your love and the gospel the most. And the bad trees there around can't produce good fruit. I used to think, why do they act like that? And then the Lord said, how can they act any different? They don't have me. They don't know me. They have no ability to act like a Christian. Well, they can put on clothes and appear to be like a sheep, but you know what? I had a wolf nature. I had a I had an attitude that I'll just take everything I can from you before you take what you want from me. But I've got good news today. You're good trees and you have good fruit and you need to share that fruit with others. The world's desperately looking for real Christians. God is looking for those on the narrow way that love him. And I'll tell you, there's nothing sweeter than walking with him. There's nothing sweeter than as he sets you free more and more, how you can share the story, how others can be set free. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost, and he said, you have you crucified the prince of life. You crucified the prince of life who came to give you life, and you rejected him, but he's still stretching out his arms. He's still stretching out his arms today for anyone that needs to know him. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was raised up out of the nation of Israel to live a life that would bring Jew and Gentile, would bring, and you know, our dream here is that people from all backgrounds, all nationalities, all that was spoken about Ray Steadman, black, white, red, brown, yellow, every color known to mankind, that we would show that we have a father in heaven that can bring people together to love one another and honor one another and respect one another and give people the place they deserve in the kingdom and in the world. And if it can't happen in the church, it's not going to happen anywhere else. So I implore you, be rooted and grounded in love. Love never fails. Be rooted and grounded. Let your roots go down deep in the love of Christ. Ask him to amaze you again with his love. And you won't want to bring disunity. You won't want to have your own opinion. The Bible says don't be wise in your own opinions but be wise in his love, be wise in his truth, be wise in his presence and watch what happens. So Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you for all the good trees in this place. And God, the narrow way is gonna become narrower in the days ahead. But Lord, we've decided to follow you and we've taken up our cross. And I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus or maybe they've not been following him. I pray today they would get on the narrow way. I pray that they would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that they would have an encounter with the living resurrected savior and realize that they can be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principality and power and might and every name that is named both in this world and the one to come and in the underworld. 
I thank you for the power there is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who gave himself on the tree and shed his blood and bought us with a price, that our life would no longer be our own, but it would be his. Lord, we give you our lives afresh and anew today. And I pray for anyone that doesn't know you, may they repent, may they turn from going their own way and trying to figure out their own life. And may they surrender today to the cross of Christ. May they surrender to the good news of the gospel that says if anyone would receive me, they would be forgiven. If anyone would make me the Lord of their life or with a mouth, confession and believing in your righteousness, Lord, causes us with the confession of our lips causes us to have a righteousness of heart and a turning to you causes us to be forgiven and to become true followers of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would help us to beware in this hour of all the false teachings and the false prophecies that when they're put in the light of your word, Lord, they fall, fall so far short of your love and your truth. I pray, is there anyone here that today would say, Pastor Dan, that's me. I need to follow Jesus. I need to give my life to him. I need to be forgiven. I need hope again. I need to be a child of God. Is there anyone? Wave at me if that's you. Just wave. It's a little hard to see, but wave if that's you. If you're here today, we want to pray for you and help you. Is there anyone? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. We're going to pray. So there's a world out there that needs what you have. And the world can't, the world can't give it what it needs. But you and I have what the world needs. So be rooted and grounded in love and let God love you. We're going to close with praying for people. I need some of the prayer team up here. I need people, elders and others up here. And Pastor Herb had a word about some healing, some things that were going to happen. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. If you need to go during the prayer time, just quietly slip out. Let's keep this a place in the sanctuary for prayer. And remember, people need love. People need love. People need to be loved into the kingdom with the truth of God's word.